from the very depths of hell. And the blackest regions of the imagination. It is coming. H.P. Lovecraft's Necronomicon. The Book of the Dead. Three strange tales of the supernatural and the unearthly. Don't push me away! A terrifying trilogy inspired by the horrific works of the original master of horror himself, H.P. Lovecraft. The secrets of the Necronomicon do not come cheap. An amazing encounter. Why are you doing this to me? In the realm of lurking fear and unspeakable horror that will take you to hell. through Cairo. Really? Wow. That would have been something. <laughs> I, I, also, I also drew, because um, Hammer was going to do a movie called um, Zeppelins versus Pterodactyls. And uh, they only got as far as the poster. And, uh, what more do you need? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, uh, so I did that on the cover as well, where he said, oh, we're not going to do that. We're just going to do the uh, gothic monsters. So I had to, Rework it. Zeppelins versus pterodactyls. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you don't even need to show them till the very, very end. You just have people talking for a lot in the movie. You got the poster. You brought him in already. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we really thought that poster out. The movie, not so much. <laughs> <laughs> so often is the case, isn't it? Oh man. Let's start this thing. Okay. All right. For the first time in, what, 14 months? Uh, feels like years, but yeah, something yeah. like that. We're back, in person. <laughs> what do we do? <laughs> I don't know, man, I forget. Well, the first thing I had to do was dust off the microphones and the headphones for you guys. I'll put on trousers. Yeah, yeah, it's not, it's, it's not pants uh, optional. Listeners, you're listening to another exciting episode of an in-person version of Chewing the Scenery Horror Movie Podcast. Yes, we're a podcast where we three friends get together and talk about a horror movie, and we'll spoil that horror movie. Recently watched, we'll talk about that first, and we'll try not to spoil that. And uh, we thank the Moonrays for giving us that song, Intro Creature Features, at the top of the show. 
Find the music on Apple Music or Amazon where you could buy it digitally. Say hello to them on Facebook where they are the moon dash rays. We're not professional critics. We're just your hosts. I'm Richard. I'm here with Jolian. Hello. And Will. Hello. Well, guys, what are we going to do? No. You want to kick off uh, Recently Watched? Me? Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty easy for me. Um, doing a lot of projects where, as we're in Denver, for listeners who don't know, uh, we just came out of actually living in Seattle, it seemed like, for about a month and a half. It was cold and rainy kind of the whole time. And then all of a sudden, it turned into Phoenix, <laughs> I think. So now it's like Sounds about right. over 90 degrees and uh, not to talk about the weather or anything, except for that affects what I do and don't do. So uh, trying to catch up with all the uh, outdoor stuff that we were trying to do and uh, finally can do it. So my uh, movie watching has suffered, but I've watched some television stuff that I can turn it on and shut it off, you know. So seeing, uh, saying that brings me to, I started watching Solar Opposites, which is a, we could call an adult animated sitcom. It's from the makers of, of uh, Rick and Morty. And if you haven't watched that, I don't know. I, I think this makes more sense if you're familiar with the senses of humor of, uh, well, Justin Roiland is one of the creators of uh, Rick and Morty. Uh, he's... With this one, uh, let's see. They made this for Hulu. He and a guy named uh, Mike McMahon. And so it's interesting. It's about some... Is uh, Mike McMahon the comic artist? I don't know. Let's see. Let's find out. Uh, American comedy writer and television producer. Oh, okay. Uh, he's known for Star Trek Lower Decks, <clears throat> which is an animated comedy. I guess I don't know that one. Uh Anyway, this is uh, this centers around a family of aliens who come from a better planet than Earth, and they have to take refuge here, and they're just in middle America, just trying to uh, figure out what what's right and wrong, and what's good and what's awful. So it's the new Morgan Mindy slash Third Rock. I think you could slash compare Slash Coneheads. Yeah, you could compare it to all of those things. Um, it... Uh, it has a little side thing to it where the uh, where the kids of this family are uh, shrinking humans, sort of randomly. I think they have to sort of justify why they do it, but they just shrink them and keep them in this case in the wall. So it's it's pretty interesting. But then the humans in the case have to fight amongst themselves for survival. So if you have like a a needle or you know some chewing gum or something, then you're quite rich. Let's see. Um, so that one's interesting. I've watched about four episodes of that. Uh, I've been doing a very heroic thing. I've been rewatching the original Twin Peaks TV series. Oh. Uh, it's more of a melodramatic thing than it is a quirky, mysterious thing I'm discovering. So, Well, it starts out fairly melodramatic, but don't worry. It gets, it gets it weirder, gets weird. doesn't it? Okay. Because I'm about five or six episodes in, and it needs, needs to get a little weirder. But you also have to remember this was, you know, weird of 30 years ago. This is true. Um, to be considered, things have gotten weirder. Yeah. So it seems kind of mundane now to be considered a weirdo back then. You didn't have to do much, right? Not a, not a whole lot. Look at the weirdo with the checkered pants. Yeah. You know, what a weirdo. 
Now it's like <laughs> you have to like go levels above checkered pants. So striped shirt and checkered pants. Yeah. So uh, yeah, Twin Peaks. I'm enjoying this one. It's uh, it's cast really well, except for now I'm noticing how the high schoolers are too old. And the people who I used to think were appropriate adult age, like Leo Johnson, way too, way too young. He's supposed to be maybe 30-ish. I don't think he's much older than the other ones. Hmm. So, anywho, it's, it's worth a rewatch as far as I'm concerned so far. And then um, we started watching the Mosquito Coast TV series. And this one is... Um, it's based on the same story that the Harrison Ford movie of 1986 is based on. I was going to say. So this is a television series uh, based on the novel that the movie was based on that came out in 1986 with Harrison Ford starring in it. What really gets me is the um, the young son in this, mo- in this uh, series looks to me like a kid version of, of Harrison Ford. Really? Yeah. And then one of the characters makes a Star Wars reference, and I'm thinking, and it's a and it's a Han Solo quote, and I'm thinking they know this kid oh, looks okay. like him. They know it. Uh, I think they they get in this pickup truck, and I think this one guy says something to the effect of, uh, "Well, she may not look like much, but she's got to wear accounts." And the kid doesn't get the reference at all, and he's like, "Come on, Millennium Falcon, Star Wars," and it's like the kid doesn't get it because the parents never let him watch TV. Anywho, it's about this family that. Uh, the dad and maybe the mom also are, I don't know, revolutionaries. They've done something wrong that the government's after them. And they need to be able to just get up and go at it at a moment's notice and lose their identities. They're on like their fifth set of identities. Uh, and um, I'm thinking, how do you do a protracted version of this? But then when you think it's based on a novel, how did they ever make it into a 90-minute movie? So this will make more sense because now they're making their trek to Mexico and that's where I'm at in the series. I'm like on third, fourth, I think fourth episode. So that's what I've watched. I, I, I recommend this one. Um, uh, Justin Thoreau is the male lead on this one. Um, Melissa George is the female lead, Margot, and then the kids. So anywho, um, you guys ever watch that, uh, uh, what was that one called? Where the, was it The Leftovers that had all the people? No, I never got around to watching that yeah, one. Yeah, he was in that one. And he was really good. I liked him in that one. So that's what I got for recently watched. Who wants to go next? I'll go, because it's short. All right. <laughs> Plan 9 from Outer Space. Uh, we watched uh, a new show on Monday uh, for Murder Mondays. Uh, Mayor of East Town with uh, Kate Winslet as a police detective. Uh, we're caught up in the mystery, but man, is everybody in the show the most despicable human being. <laughs> they, there's not one person that isn't somewhat schemy or just doing... They may be doing something wrong, and you understand why they're doing it, but still, it's it's hard to like these characters. 
about three quarters of the way through the first episode, which there's no real mystery at the. Be- I mean, I take that back. There is an old case that's like a year old, but it's obviously not active, so it's not a whole lot she's doing. She's like, you know, uh, taking calls for peepers and whatnot, and <laughs> that may or may not be there because the old, some old lady who sounds like she makes a lot of calls to the police mm-hmm. to uh, complain Uh May or may not have seen someone in the back. It may have been the neighbor across the street who happened to look over while she was looking out her win- kitchen window or whatever. Mm. Um, so about three quarters of the way through the first episode, I was like, man, I don't think I can watch this show. These people are terrible. They're just unlikable all around. Um, but then the mystery happens, and you're like, oh, well, now I I'm, I guess I'm stuck. I have to wait and watch and see what happens. So, uh, uh, it's, it's okay. It's, uh, I'm still watching it, so. <laughs> and then we watched a couple episodes of Discovery, and, um, that's it. Wow. You know, it's too nice out now. Right. Okay. <laughs> it's, uh, it's so warm out, and you just go sit outside in the evening. Yeah. I don't watch a lot of TV. Our neighborhood, they used to haul out their TVs onto the porch. And... Oh, really? Yeah. <clears throat> we just drove by, when I picked Jolien up, we just drove by somebody who had an inflatable pool outside their apartment on the sidewalk, on the corner. Not just on the sidewalk, but right there in the corner. So you got visibility from the whole intersection. Just sitting there like a toad in the water. It was great. Yeah, we've we got two projects, like two sides of the block oh okay that makes sense yeah. so what about you Julian uh, well I watched um, The Curse of the Blind Dead I'm uh, trying to see all the you know because there's like four films in the actual Blind Dead series and then there's just as many films which are paying tribute to it or referencing it or involve the Knights Templar in some way ripping it off yeah so I've got a couple more to go over those so uh, Curse of the Blind Dead came out a couple of years ago. Um, this is directed by Raphael Piccio. And uh, you've got a pre-credit sequence where you've got the Knights Templar. Um, they're trying to sacrifice a newborn baby for some sort of protection for themselves. Just the hell yeah. And uh, uh, angry village mob bursts in... Um, tortures them, puts them to the stake, uh, or burns their eyes out beforehand, and then, and then burns them all. And uh, and that's how they become the blind dead. Then you go into the credits. There's a good uh, 10 minutes of credits in this movie, Ooh. which is like 90 minutes long. Ooh, ouch. Um, the uh, opening credits it's, uh, shows various bits of stock footage indicating wars throughout history and then uh, World War Three. Uh, which uh, somehow leaves uh, forests and uh, contrails intact. I don't know how that works. But uh, anyway, so you have a a man and his pregnant daughter wandering through a forest, and they're captured by a Templar cult. And about 49 minutes into it, the blind dead show up. 
and uh, they uh, they're way over lit. They're, they've got these like Halloween mask things on, and it's just way over lit. Like in the original movie, then you had to light them, so they look sinister. And, yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, you see them well too clearly, and uh, they uh, uh, and then you get about a quarter of an hour of uh, practical effects, lots of gore, the spines being ripped out. Newborn baby being ripped in half. Um, they got a lot of use out of this one intestine prosthetic. You see the same one over and over again. Um, uh, one character says, uh, they're impossible to stop, and about 10 minutes later, they're all done in. Um, the, yeah, you can do them in in various ways, apparently, and uh, but then they just come back for some reason. There's no such thing as an immortal in a movie. <laughs> Uh, well, Highlander, for example, or Dracula, or you name it. Um, Fabio Testi plays the jailer of the cult, and uh, he, he was a stuntman in Italian horror movies of oh. yore. Um, so it was nice to see him. Uh, the dialogue is this weird kind of Google Translate form of English. There's lots of these <laughs> non sequiturs. Like, uh, no one actually answers anybody's question. They just come back with some line that has nothing to do with what they just said um and i'm starting with a poster you look at the poster there's like a an erroneous apostrophe right in the poster <laughs> uh they also call them the uh night templars when they oh. should be the knights templar um are they drinking gin and tonics <laughs> the blind drunk <laughs> yes <laughs> they're not zombies or anything they're just really oh, yeah. really drunk people yeah sure the trying to dead. get in your house <laughs> yeah yeah sure the blind dead where people are just really drunk mm-hmm. i think that would be a really good sequel yeah but they'll never you know they did a trilogy but they're never going to do a sequel i'm sure <laughs> which is good um, These damn drunk people throwing up all over the sidewalk outside your house. Yes. <laughs> Kicking over your bins at 2 a.m. Yeah. <laughs> I can see it. I um, like it. Yeah, we, yeah or, uh, the street I used to live on in England, you were often besieged by drunks on the weekend. And they'd like rip up your anything that could be ripped up and throw it around oh man <laughs> like yard ornaments and things like that yeah rocks whatever uh, yeah mm. it was just like the main road out of the town so any drunks who made it uh down uh, part of it. man hooligans yep um and then the other uh, classic i saw was a diary of a high school bride from 1959 this is one of american international pictures uh, oh yay uh, you know they, they had these posters and then the posters are all about exploitation you know like fast cars loose women high school kicks rock and roll and then the actual movie is just so square so conservative yes <laughs> um so this is directed by bert topper this was the uh, this went out as a double bill with ghost of drag strip hollow um so this has got all the usual word uh, uh tcm's having a juvenile delinquent Oh, night this man. month. Like they've got a whole bunch of these high school. I love those things. movies. Yeah, because um, just like you say, yeah, they are so square. They're, <laughs> you know, they do actual crimes. It's not like you know they knocked over somebody's mailbox and that's the big crime. But the the 
even the bad kids are so <laughs> kind of straight and narrow in their badness. <laughs> yeah, the bad kid in this, he's just like, he looks like someone out of Archie, but he's like the, the bad kid, you know, the rebel. Yeah. Reggie. <laughs> Reggie, yes. Um, so this stars Anita Sands in her debut. It's got uh, music by Ronald Stein. It's got the same coffee bar set that was used in uh, Bucket of Blood. Okay. Uh, so there's a scene where you've got all these beats and they're like clicking their fingers along to some uh, flamenco dancing. Um, <laughs> or they're doing this bizarre stuff instead of clapping, like rubbing their faces in rhythm or something like that. It's, it's oh, man. <laughs> Isn't it just snapping the fingers? That's what beatniks did instead of applauding. Yeah. 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 We don't need to add stuff to that. I need to find this one. Um yeah, I didn't hold on to it. I just uh, recorded it off TV. But, oh, um, yeah, certainly. But uh, to- towards the end, oh, there's a there's a chicken. You know, there's always a chicken scene in these films where, oh yeah, stupid car driving. Oh yes, goes on, um, and a couple of punch ups. Uh, but but basically, the setup of this is uh, a guy who's supposed to be 24, but he looks at least 10 years older than that. He gets married to this 17 year old. And uh, she's got an ex who's the rebel kid who decides that he's going to take revenge on them for some... He's got he's really hung up on taking revenge yeah. on them. No matter what happens to him, he gets beaten up by the, the husband or <laughs> he, he loses so many ways over and over and uh, he keeps coming back. And uh, towards the end, they, they, um, they go to the actual AIP backlot, which they call... Uh, they call something else, but you can see inside the the big studio, and they they go around the rafters a lot. They have a chase around the rafters, oh, and uh, someone gets electrocuted at the end because you know it's got to be a, a moral ending. Yeah, um, but you get to see like uh, they go into this office and they've got all this original artwork from the American International posters up on the wall. So oh neat. Uh, yeah, one of them that's heavily featured is uh, for the Screaming Skull. Okay. Oh, that's yeah. a good poster. Yeah, it's by uh, Albert Callis, who was See, the... you just needed a good poster. Yeah. Because um, that's a terrible movie. It's, <laughs> uh, yeah, I watched that a year or two ago. It was terrible. Right. <laughs> so I uh, think Albert Callis did a lot of these posters, like Invasion of the Sor- Sorcerer and oh, yeah. stuff like that. So. It's funny you mentioned two posters I have restored from like the best scans I could find. Both of those posters are just gorgeous. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I was hoping that the movie would burst into color at that point so I could have a good look at the picture, but, <laughs> but no such luck. Um, anyway, that's, uh, and not when someone got electrocuted at the end either, like the no. colossal man, right. amazing colossal man that goes into color for the last two minutes or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. How to make a monster and they set everything on fire. It goes into color, doesn't it? Yeah. And you mentioned this actor who's like 10 years older than he's playing. Yeah. It makes me think of that Robin from the Batman and Robin serial. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's like, yeah, he's 39 and Batman's 41. Yeah. <laughs> they went to high school together. <laughs> right. That, that's playing on TCM on Saturday mornings now. They're mm. showing that again. <clears throat> you know, the 1966 Batman series, Batman was way more versed and concerned in uh, the works of Shakespeare than I would have ever thought. <laughs> you know, and... <laughs> He always does that thing where he's like unfolding the crime, thinking out loud. He's like, oh, posts, uh, water, 
appears by the by the Robin. They're at the they're at the Gotham <laughs> Marina. You know, it's like the, he always just starts doing word salad, and then ends up figuring the thing out. Ah, but you know what's great? Gilligan's Island. <laughs> they do. <laughs> I think it's on Sundays. Me TV does. They call it the three hour tour. And they show three hours of Gilligan's oh Island. Oh my god! I Holy made it one of them. Fuck. <laughs> Oh my god! It's, it's an endurance test. Yeah, I wanted to watch oh. one of them because I heard Jack Arnold directed a lot of them. Oh, okay. And uh, you know he directed Creature from the Black Lagoon, etc. Uh-huh. So I thought, all right, I'll give this a try. And so I watched. Uh, I think it was it was with the Harlem Globetrotters. Oh really? Uh, no, that was a that was a movie. That when was they, a movie. Yeah, they brought yeah. it back. Yeah, that's a different kind of bad. Okay. Yeah, they're. they're uh... I watched a lot of Gilligan's Island when I was a kid. I really liked it, but I don't think I could sit through three hours of it. No, I can sit through about three episodes of it, but not the six that would be a three-hour marathon. That's rough. And it's, you know, it it's weird because you've got, like, Kurt Russell. He was the Jungle Boy. Did you know that? Yes. Yeah, you, you, so you can see some stuff like that, but... You know, like when they meet the Japanese sailor, that's pretty cringy now. Mm. Is it not played by an Asian person? I, I'm guessing. I'm pretty sure it's not. You know, the, I think the character is almost as bad as Mickey Rooney. In <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> Breakfast with Tiffany's. I've, Breakfast with Tiffany's. I've never watched that movie. Yeah. Oh, you yeah. have to just like work really hard to get through those scenes. It's like. A wonderful ice cream sundae with dog shit in it. <laughs> like, do I take the time to pick around it? <laughs> or Jolien has just avoided it entirely. <laughs> yeah, you're probably smart. Because you watch it and you're just like, how, even in 1961, that this wasn't like the most racist thing mm-hmm. anybody had seen. Why did they let this, and not that they were against racism at the time. It's also just not funny. It's just all around terrible. Well, that's the worst part about that stuff. You know, like when they would do, you know, whatever face they were doing, <laughs> whether it was red face, yellow face, black face, doesn't matter. Um, it was, if they were playing it for comedy, it was usually not even funny. So, Ooh. so don't. And, you know, we, we can work around it in some stuff, I think, but I've never seen Breakfast at Tiffany's, I don't think. Like I say, it's actually a pretty good movie, except Mm. for that bit. Uh, If I could do a fan edit, you could probably cut all those bits out, and I don't think it would affect the movie. Yeah. Because it's mostly just Hepburn and, uh, or what's her name? Uh, It's Audrey Hepburn, isn't it? Yeah. And uh, George Bapard. Oh, okay. Pre-A-Team. Yeah, how bad could it be, right? Playing a gay character who's not gay in the movie. (laughs) (laughs) There may be way sub sub subtext there that reads that, but you know, I don't pick it up. Unlike the book. So, did you guys um, hear anything about this uh, Conjuring sequel? Yeah. Uh, What's it called? Uh, The Devil Made Me Do It. The Devil Made Me Do It. I did watch that. So I got a lot of ironing and folding done. Okay, so it's on HBO Max. Yeah, yeah, it was. Here's the thing. Um, I think they're trying to uh, turn the uh, 
the Warrens, Ed and Lorraine Warren, into like superheroes so they could compete with maybe the the Marvel Cinematic Universe. <laughs> I don't know. They can like go into other dimensions and like be there and talk to the dead and do all this stuff. Uh-huh. And it's most of the movie. It's very distracting and it's not it's not entirely spooky. It's not it's not great. Uh, the first movie's way better. Well, this is from the director of The, the Curse of La Llorona, which okay. was terrible. Okay. Well, then uh, this continues in that grand tradition. Uh, yeah. So I, I'm, I'm going to say, please, neither of you pick that movie. In, you know, until, okay. Until you... Son of a bitch. You're going to be upset <laughs> next week. <laughs> I'll, I'll just go from what I remember. Because I had something picked out, but now... <laughs> it's Will's turn next. Now I'm going to pick Conjuring 3. They're inserting them into every supernatural or allegedly supernatural case oh, yeah. ever. They're like the Zelig of... <laughs> yeah, they're just beaming them in yeah. to uh, whatever storyline. They, they should give them a, a talking dog or something. Oh, oh that'd yeah. be fun. Yeah. yeah, wacky dog and they could solve crimes. Yeah, Drive around in a van, just sure. wherever they go, there happens to be someone, a ghost. Yeah, <laughs> it makes a lot more They're sense. Battling the blind drunk. Yeah, <laughs> makes makes way more sense than what I saw. I couldn't tell you much about it. <laughs> Is that memorable? Yeah. So how long ago did you see it? Like two nights ago. <laughs> that's kind of how I feel about tonight's movie. Yeah. Now, <clears throat> that's a good segue for me to say: Does Jeffrey Combs really kind of overpronounce? Necronomicon. <laughs> that's almost yes. as bad. That's almost as bad as like I knew somebody who was back in the eighties, I think it was, was reading the H.P. Lovecraft books and got a copy of the Necromnicon. 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 <laughs> uh, no, I'd go to the Necromnicon. Yeah, that sounds like a yeah, like a like a Lovecraft con that they would have in England. Because, uh, you know, you would, you would say it that way, right? Necromnicon. It'd be in Rhode Island. Well, it would be, but, you know, to pronounce it Necromnicon. It'd still be Rhode Island, yeah. You know. Yeah, it would. Okay. So, Jolien, you picked this one. Yes. Uh, had you seen it? Yeah, I, I saw it on tape ages ago. How did you get a hold of the file of it? <laughs> I can't remember. Yeah, okay. <laughs> so it was... Uh, it was just one of those things it's, that turned out. one up. of those arcane spells. Hey, yeah. Hey, the roads are bumpy around here. Things yeah. fall off of trucks all the time. <laughs> yeah, I drew a star on the road and yeah. the truck turned over and there it was. Yeah. I don't know. I came home and the thumb drive was there in the computer. Yeah. Just that file on it. <clears throat> and then Will had to try and use a uh, Windows now machine. Now I passed the curse onto you. <laughs> yeah, now it's in my laptop. Yeah, I had to watch it on YouTube. Oh, it's terrible. Like the bottom 15% of the picture was missing. and It seemed like, they, I don't know. Weird. It was cropped. Oh, they did it because that that's how they get away the, with the copyright. Oh. Because the YouTube looks for the videos. Oh. But if you, the idea, I don't know if it really works, but the idea is if you make the picture bigger, or I've seen a lot of them where they make it a lot smaller. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Uh, you can get around that. Um, people play it a little faster. Oh. It's another way they get around it. Yeah. 
I have a dog. <laughs> um, so uh, it didn't seem like it was cropped enough to where it was missing any information except for maybe the chins on some characters and some close-ups. So I didn't have a hard time watching it. So uh, for listeners who want to jump in there, they can find it on YouTube. It wasn't that hard to find. It just It's a little distracting in a couple scenes. So, um, well, there were a couple scenes, uh, that I thought at proper, uh, ratio were a tad confusing. Yeah. So what happened there? Uh, like when he goes and gets the book and he takes it out of the safe, they cut to this shot of an ominous looking door Mm -hmm. gate or something with these big metal teeth. Yeah. And they show it again at the end of the movie. Um, and it all closed up like Get Smart. Yeah, but uh, I had no idea where that was in relationship to anything when they showed it. Yeah. It was just kind of like, what? What? I had to back it up and watch it again because I was like, what? what was that cut to? I didn't realize it was supposed to be behind the book. I don't know. It was, it was weird. There was... Yeah, I think it was the safe where they kept Yeah, it was the book. safe, yeah. There were a couple other shots where it was like, wait, what happened? <laughs> um, it was just kind of weird editing. Um, that was the one that stuck out stuck out for me the most, though, because I did back it up, because it was just like, what is that door? <laughs> it was behind the Necronomicon. Necromicon. <laughs> <laughs> he says it that way every time. Necronomicon. Just kind of leans into the O a little bit, yeah. But he was he was sort of uh, getting in touch with the H.P. Lovecraft character. You know, mm-hmm. he he was getting to know the actual um, feelings and emotions of Lovecraft. I will say this movie for uh, you can tell they probably didn't have a whole lot of money, but. The production was really good. Mm-hmm. It looked nice for a low-budget movie. Um, I think it's about four million. Yeah, budget. that's what I read. Um, they did really well with that. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there were some kind of little hokey parts, but uh, you know, if you looked a little too closely at the fish man, oh yeah, who came out of the depths or whatever, <clears throat> yeah, he was a little a little rubbery. But at the same time, I thought it was kind of great that. They showed him. Mm-hmm. Um, at the same time, I felt like, oh, another anthology. They just, there's not going to be any real characters. And uh, although these were wildly different than the actual Lovecraft stories that I remember, it seemed like they were piecing bits together. Yes. Um, I felt like if you, if, you weren't familiar with Lovecraft, you'd have no idea what was going on. Right. Because it just seemed like stuff was happening. It almost seemed like a sort of proto-fan service. I got all like, ooh, they mentioned the inn at Portsmouth or whatever. And uh, I was like, ooh, that's a story. I remember that. And I was like, oh, no, it's going to be one of those where they rely on, you know, me doing the heavy lifting on the story. (laughs) part because i have to you know remember lovecraft stories i read in high school yeah i think the middle one is fairly faithful to yeah co- to a story called cool air i don't remember i don't uh, think i ever read that one they adapted it for um night gallery 
and Bernie Wrightson drew it. Oh, adaptation oh, cool. of it. Nice. Um, that one's fairly close, although the denouement is different, mm-hmm. and the the genders are different. There's there's no like romance, of course, because there's none in Lovecraft. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, it is it's got it's, it's basically the same setup. You know, you have someone who's got an apartment below someone who's keeping their room really cold for some reason and they find out why eventually um so that's the most faithful one um the first one is based is there's several different stories there's shadows yes. over Innsmouth like yeah Innsmouth that's ended rats yeah. in the walls yeah I couldn't think of the other ones um uh, that <clears throat> said though I thought they they sort of captured the spirit of of Lovecraft in in some of them, um, but I felt by the end it, it had gotten to uh, just a lot of people yelling and gloopiness. Oh God, the <laughs> and it really lost me with that last mm-hmm. story. Like, oh yeah, the first story started off. Well, I'm not counting the the H.P. Lovecraft, you know, wraparound bit. The first uh, story. Uh, I thought started really interesting and then just kind of lost focus. Um, the second one I felt was sort of the same way. Like it started interesting and then at some point I just, I got tired of it. Um, and then the last one was just like, what is this? This is like a different movie. Um We watched From Beyond and Reanimator mm. and I think both of those... Uh, I would say in a strange way, I think this would maybe closer to Lovecraft, but I think those were more effective movies with their little bit of comedy and a little bit of, of stepping back and going, isn't this weird? Yeah, I mean, reanimated people uh, might think, oh, this is so gory and and uh, there's always wild stuff going on, but that's all in the Herbert West reanimator stories. Yeah. They're very gory. Okay. Um, so uh, that's not so unfaithful as you might assume. Um, yeah, perhaps not the not the goriness. I just mean their tone is a little lighter than perhaps mm-hmm. uh, a Lovecraft yeah. story. There, there's sinister stuff going on, but then at the same time they they accentuate it with a joke now and again. Right. And I think I think that makes it a little more palatable. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that this was just. Maybe this, the same reason I the same problem I had with Lovecraft was, was all a little too earnest. <laughs> um, we we watched this last night, and Emily said uh, the Necronomicon itself seemed incidental in most of the stories. It totally was. Uh, it's it's a main feature of the the uh, <clears throat> the the one about the drowned. Hmm. Um. But in the other stories, you could take it out, and it wouldn't make much difference at all. Yeah, yeah, because Je- yeah, Jethro uses the book to resurrect his family members, mm-hmm. and they come back all messed up. Yeah, um, yeah. Outside of that, it's just for the wraparound, mm-hmm. and yeah, you could leave it out of those other stories for sure. Uh, the the one with the cops, the they, what do they call that? The whisper uh, whispers whispers. Yes. So ba- that's based on a novella called The Whisperer in Darkness, and if we're to trust Wikipedia, it says it's a twenty-six thousand-word novella. Yeah, that's the one where they they go out into 
Pretty New England. And uh, they find there's the aliens and uh, they're uh, they've taken someone. They've they've taken his brain and they've put it into a different body. I think. Oh. I can't remember that one. Interesting. Um, the, you know the Lovecraft Society have done their own films. They did the, the excellent Call of Cthulhu. Really? Film that and they did it as a silent movie. So what if they made a film of uh, Lovecraft back in the twenties? Right. So that was that was really good. It was probably one of the best Lovecraft films out there. And they they also did uh, The Whisper in Darkness. Yeah, because the question that and I they, they did it as a kind of fifties style. Oh well, yeah. Um, the the question I always ask myself when I'm watching anything related to Lovecraft is why is his work so hard to do? Like, <laughs> I mean, let me say that a different way. Why is his work so hard to do well? Because there's a lot of it out there and most of it's bad. Well, he, he doesn't really describe uh, the creatures. Things are unnameable and undescribable. Yes. <laughs> How do you portray something that's undescribable? Yeah. And it's mostly about academics and they research and they come across knowledge that they shouldn't. Yeah. Um, and uh, there's a feeling of dread. and. Yeah. I think that's the big thing is that it's his stories seem to be just a constant feeling of dread mm. that I think would wear real thin in a movie. And movies want, whether it's right or not, they want like jump scares and and set pieces and whatnot and yeah a researcher with this overwhelming sense of dread (laughs) who slowly goes mad it's not a great film no it's like uh guillermo de toro is always talking about filming uh call of cthulhu yeah and uh uh, i'm kind of glad he hasn't because uh i mean the whole story is they go to the antarctic they they've they work their way into this ancient ruins. Yeah. They translate what's on the walls. They figure out the real history of the planet. And uh, what they find out is just uh, incredible. They almost lose their minds. Yeah. And they get a glimpse of something at the end. And that's it. So uh, his his he's he's taken that basic setup and then he's, he's built this like action adventure story around it which i think is yeah yeah, i I don't want to see (laughs) (laughs) i fear that people would compare it i mean not that this is a real fear but they'd compare it to the aliens versus predator because they go to a temple ruin in antarctica right and it's kind of I, i when i watched it i was like is this a lovecraft script that somebody grafted aliens and predators Mm -hmm. onto it may be. I don't know enough about that movie other than it was terrible. Well, if you took uh, Carpenter's version of The Thing and you called The Thing uh, a shog-off. There you, you go. Basically yeah. have the same thing. Yeah. I mean, that was brilliant. I, I think the best Lovecraft films are indirect. Yeah. Indirectly Lovecraft. They're not straight adaptations of the stories. Yeah. Yeah, If you can, if you can have an inspiration... I mean, you could look at like Nosferatu is a great movie and it isn't Dracula, but it is, <laughs> you know? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Dracula's a challenge to do right as well because that's an epistolary story. Yeah, I was going to say, all it's all letters. It's, uh, yeah, you know, 
and now it's all more based on the movies themselves than the mm-hmm. the actual book. Yeah, I would guess that most people who've done vampire movies, specifically Dracula movies, haven't really read the book. They've just looked at all the other Draculas and said, okay, yeah, if we put all those in a blender, <laughs> you know, what would we get? And you get what you get. It's really unfortunate because, you know, the if you read the original Frankenstein book or the mm. original Dracula, they don't look anything like the Universal <laughs> versions no. of them. You know, they the content is completely different. So I got to say, you know, you can do what you want inspired by Lovecraft and uh, maybe... You know, the ancient gods don't need to follow all of the unnameable and indescribable things. Maybe you can just name and describe, you know, with some of that dread in mind. Uh, Cthulhu is just going to be this massive thing that's returned to eat everything and everybody, right? Yeah, he's this... um, uh, It's so terrifying that you go mad when you see it. Yeah. So... It's not something you can put on the screen, really. Because <laughs> yeah. as, as, think... as soon as you see it, you're like, oh, huh. yeah. octopus head, dude. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they'd have to come up with something that's so wild and not show it until the last second and then show it very briefly where you go, what the hell did I just see? <laughs> um, well, is is Godzilla just another version of this same kind of thing? The great beast rising from the ocean. Yeah. Yeah, it's like the Kraken idea, isn't it? Yeah. Bring about the apocalypse. Yeah. Brought on by the nukes and mm-hmm. will bring the the apocalypse itself. Um, yeah, they, they that's... Uh, Shin Godzilla is most like that, I think. Yeah. yeah. So they put that on screen and it doesn't make us lose our minds to watch it. Well, exactly, but... It, with, so with the Lovecraft creatures, the people who see them go mad. Yeah. So how do you design that for you, the screen? You just try and people, yeah, like Julian said, they go, whew. It was like with the, with the thing, it's this, uh, it was never the same whenever you saw it. Yeah. So uh, I think that was the best representation. But I felt the, um, in this movie, the Necronomicon, um, the storytelling... Uh, for a lot of it, it was quite poor. Um, if you, because each story, you go into another story. Yeah. So he's reading the Necronomicon, which is somehow he's transcribing from the Necronomicon, which is written by uh, who's Al Hazred. Yeah, the Mad Era. Who somehow has a working knowledge of seventies and nineties San Francisco. So what yeah. what are we seeing? Is it is it predicting the future? Or? That's what threw me was because it starts in nineteen thirty or thirty two or yeah. something, and yeah, and then the next story, the people pulling up in the car are like early seventies, and it's like, what's going on? And then it tends to be kind of a modern time after that. You don't mm-hmm. really know when it's going on i guess the cops are a little more obvious that it's present day uh yeah that really threw me i didn't know what was going on with that yeah yeah you shouldn't be pondering these things when you're watching no no because it should have all been you know just have that second or you know that first story start 
also in the 30s or something, you know, or or the 20s. Maybe it's we'll say it's 10 years earlier, and then its story that's needless, but then its story is you know the 1870s or something, uh, you know, 50 yeah. years earlier or so something. The, then you're then they're watching that story, and then that story starts talking about an earlier story, yeah, and it's, it's just like 15 20 minute story i mean just stick to one yeah yeah yeah. just you know give us a uh i kind of thought it would be a uh i don't know what you would call it but uh it's not historical fiction but sort of a historical fiction of of lovecraft finding the necronomicon and Mm. that influencing his work and maybe he's going mad and it focused more on him rather than just having his characters kind of the the wraparound story. Yeah. Um, I read a comic that way that was, you know, <clears throat> Lovecraft was really dealing with the Necronomicon and going mad and all that. And, yeah. uh, had great art from an Argentinian artist. And I can't remember his name Is now. Is I don't remember. I cannot remember. Huh. I know Breccia did some Lovecraft comics where he, because <clears throat> you weren't able to draw these things in detail, so he used all this abstract like blots and collage and stuff. Yeah, I know. This was a this was somebody else. Then I'll have to check that out. That sounds good. <clears throat> there's there's one thing that other th- other than the the stories not making sense. Uh, the fact that they're supposed to be from a book that couldn't possibly have knowledge of the future or whatever. Um, why would you put this in a room where it's crucial to hold on to the key and have the floor be a, a, a grid <laughs> through which the key can easily fall into some substance that is dangerous and were there creatures in it too? Mm-hmm. Yeah. What sense does that make? <laughs> I mean, at that point, you're a really bad at your job kind of a monk. Maybe those greats come up and they share that vault with the deep sea creature people. Oh, that could be. And so, you know, you can't keep them locked out. They have rights to the vault, too. They've got work to do. Yeah. And and I don't think I told Jolien this, but I'm most of the way through the movie before I realize, oh, this is supposed to be an anthology. I read that on a few reviews. Yeah. Um, and I thought that was odd. I could see it because they don't have any real breaks that you would kind of think. Yeah, it just seems like it cuts to, is she a cop now? What <laughs> What year is this? And and it's, uh, it's just weird. Oh. Yeah, so, so how far did you get before you realized? Oh, good more than half of the movie. <laughs> and I, it's, it's just so disjointed. Anyway... But right. when the the transition wasn't clear to me, I was just like, uh, I don't know why they're now cops, and it's the <laughs> you know it's the the, the supposed present day. <clears throat> what happened, you know? And again, for for uh, uh, Lovecraft to have been doing this in the 1930s, and all of a sudden, here's a story that's in the future, and then another story further into the future. I just I'm thinking, are they immortal? Are they just, are we showing them through time? Uh, I don't know. What's going on? Yeah. And then it became clear. 
that it was a sort of wraparound thing with the library. Okay, I get it. But, uh, yeah. I was, I was very thrown off. But, uh, yeah. Uh, you mentioned I, the gloopiness of it. Yeah. Now, there was a reign of gloopiness that lasted from, would you say, the thing through mm. later than this, maybe a good 15 years, 18 yes. years, where everything was very... Yes. The, the, the amount of gelatin and goo that must have been sold in those years, you know. I'd say it started with the shining, with all the blood in the hallway. Yeah. And they were like, wow, we can make banks selling fake blood and goop yeah. to Hollywood. Yeah. Yeah, the, the goop industry must have been just booming for a while there. They were devastated <clears throat> when the computer graphic came out. Before Gwyneth Paltrow bought it all up. Yeah, <laughs> Goop, yeah, that's right. So she's selling now. Yeah, so we had, uh, let's see, we had the thing, was, Scanners was a really good, uh, you know, ex, you know. But you're, you're talking about that tran- translucent stuff that all the monsters were covered in the in the 80s. Yeah, there was just a layer of this goo on everything. I think Alien was a big one for... yeah. Slime, and it made sense with Alien, but it just seemed like, uh, oh, your monster looks really great. Where's the barrel of goo? <laughs> just dunk all the costume parts in it and put it on, and just make sure and keep spraying them down with goo in between every take. And yeah, you had uh, air bladders, you know, puffing right, things right, up. Right. You had the goo. You had uh, you know things melting and exploding. Uh, it went on a while. Uh, Tom Savini actually worked on this one. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So he did. He directed the special effects. Um, there was, there's a whole bunch of people. I think he he worked on Clara from the Drowned. Oh, okay. Episode. Uh, John Buechler was on it. Um, uh, Screaming Mad George did a lot of it. Oh, nice. Um, and then uh, um, Bart Mixon. He did the Thulu monster and the drowns episode and he did okay. the meltdown from the cold air episode yeah that, that was uh that was a raiders of the lost ark level yeah <laughs> it's like we have to cast this out of wax and then melt it at least that's what i assume was going on there yeah so did that work for you guys as far as like could we have done these same stories minus the goo <laughs> or was the or was this like Cold air kind of calls for it because the, the meltdown is the climax of it. Yeah, that's true. But the other ones, um, the one, the one. I'm with- not sure. Um, I think it only bothered me in the in the very last one, the butcher one. Yeah, um, that one just seemed nuts. Like, what the what is going on in this? <laughs> yeah, the blind I, the blind woman. I have no clue what was going on. Yeah, they kept cutting to the same shot of the thing, the kind of serrated tongue or whatever coming out of that mouth. And they just, they cut back to that like so many times. And I'm thinking, all right, you use the shot. Oh, you're using it again. Oh, look, there it is again. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It it seemed like they just wanted to showcase a lot of gore. Yeah. Uh, do you recognize Don Kalfa from Return of the Living Dead? Yes, yes. Uh, in, in name at first, and then I had to pay attention, but yeah. Yeah, I, apparently um, 
you know, there was this movie called The Dark, which Toby Hooper was supposed to direct, and th- that kind of uh, Ooh, man, that's a terrible movie. Yeah, it became a mess, and yeah, someone else directed it eventually, and so they're trying to rework that. Oh, uh, it, yeah, it's not got much to do with Lovecraft apart from those bat things. Yeah. Ooh, I didn't know Toby Hooper was supposed to direct that. That is, yeah, a total mess of a movie. <laughs> yeah. Um. When when I was uh, reading the uh, credits on this, I was like, why do I know that name, Don Calfa? And uh, yeah, he's the 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 guy that has uh, Unita Medical Supply. Yeah, right. yeah, that guy. Yeah. It's like, oh, yeah, that's that name. And then you see him on the screen, and then you really know. But uh, who was the other one that kind of jumped out at me? From the cast of that story? Uh, Dennis Christopher from Fade to Black. Uh, he was in The um, the Cold. He's the one that kind of looks like Roddy McDowell a little bit. Hmm. Done. About. Here, I got him on screen. He was the reporter guy? Uh, let's see. He played yeah, that looks like the reporter. Dale Porkel, yeah. He must yeah, that was a reporter. Yeah, so he was he was in um, Breaking Away and Chariots of Fire. So he did some of those Sporto movies back in the 70s. But um, Fade to Black, he's the guy who's obsessed with cinema okay. and goes out and starts doing killings. With the uh, the woman who's who secretly loves the David Warner character is Millie Perkins, and uh, she started out in Diary of Anne Frank. Oh wow, she looks like Anne Frank a little bit here. Wow. Okay, yeah, I just brought her up on screen. Yeah, I think David Warner's really good in that. Yeah, yes. yeah, he is. He's one of those actors that's good in just about anything <laughs> until like, well, he he takes it pretty seriously. You know, I'm sure he has fun though. Seems like a good guy. Yes. I don't know if he's still alive or don't not, think but he is, no. I didn't think so. He'll always be the doctor from Secret of the Ooze, Ninja Turtles two to me. Because <laughs> <laughs> I think that's the first place I I recognized him from other movies. I think, but I think that's the first place I put his name to. I think the the Omen would be the one I. Yeah glommed onto him and see i'd seen things like that so i knew oh that's that guy and then like when ninja turtles 2 came out i was like that guy's name is david warner all right now i know i remember him from this and that and the other but he's always now secret of the ooze doctor did you discover the ninja turtles through the comics first uh, or did they get too expensive too quickly? And, they know. were too expensive. I probably learned about it kind of secondhand from the comics. Like, I never actually got to read any of the comics. Yeah. But I would see advertisements or, uh, you know, you'd look up in the little, like, the Mile Eye order form. And be like, oh, I could get Ninja Turtles 1 for $50. Yeah. <laughs> Which at the time, you know, might as well have been... Five hundred thousand dollars to a ten-year-old because it wasn't going to happen. Yeah, it was never going to happen. I remember uh, seeing uh, at a convention Fantastic Four number one for like four hundred bucks. Oh yeah. Oh my god! Mm. It was in good shape too. 
It was like, wow, but, you know, 400 yeah. bucks at the time, I was, you know, 14. Yeah. Like, ooh, I, I, I never afford a $400 comic book. <laughs> That's amazing. A comic book would cost $400? Oh, yeah. I remember going to the Forbidden Planet in London when I was a kid. And oh. I see all these original pages by, like, Brian Bolland. Oh, and so man. On. 50 bucks? Uh, 50 oh, pounds, you know? <laughs> oh, my God, yes. Yeah, I'd be clutching my 10 pounds. And like, oh, nah. Yeah, I that's 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 like several years of pocket money. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, You know, I wasn't even willing to buy like prestige format comics because that meant like they'd be like five bucks. So that was like five books or one. Mm -hmm. It's always better to go for the five. (laughs) Sure, have some variety. Yeah, yeah. I remember when uh, I was uh, paying attention to you know my. I, I cared about sports for a few years there, and uh, and I was watching my my beloved Chicago Bulls finally win their first championship, and I was this is back in the '90s, and I was very excited about this, and uh, I remember hearing somebody say how much people were paying for Michael Jordan's rookie card, and I was astounded at what people were paying, and <laughs> and it was like three hundred dollars. And it wasn't even that many years after the card was available. You know, it was like, uh, I don't know, six or seven years later. And people are paying $300 for this thing. And I was like, no way, that's ridiculous. And then the bottom's going to fall out of this someday. And uh, it's, it's just tens of thousands of dollars now. It's stunning to me that a little piece of cardboard with some printing on it. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. Uh, I want to say I got up to like, 3000 at one point and i was like no way i should have bought it when it was 300 and i think it's up to like i said tens of thousands of dollars now and i just can't wrap my brain around that it's a card yeah what are you gonna do but uh so back to the movie though if you had to pick one of the stories and turn it into a feature length you know to just Take it and just do a protracted version of it to where it can be 90 minutes. Which one do you think works the best to keep your interest for a 90-minute movie? Probably the second one. Was that The Cold? The Cold or yeah. The Cool or whatever it was called. Um, although, personally, I think I'd like to see the first one drawn out a little more. Yeah. Uh, I like the setting more than the uh, the second story. The old hotel? The old yeah. hotel, you know, it's very gothic. Uh, yeah, it's very common Pope. Yeah, exactly. I, I enjoyed that. It was like, ooh, that's kind of neat and nice. But, you know, I think they could have stretched it out and yes. have weird things happening. And he's mourning his dead wife and child. And maybe he's seeing them out, you know, walking around on the... Yeah, I really like Richard Lynch in that one. Oh, yeah, and he's always good, so. Yeah, he's a good creature in it. Mm-hmm. So, the look of the the look of the look movie, though, um, as far as the cinematography and the, you know, the, the choices they made, the whole thing looked pretty good, I thought. I thought it looked really good. And I was impressed with the, you know, $400 budget. <laughs> they made it look... <clears throat> Yeah, they the it's an estimated four million, but yeah. yeah, that's still not a lot of money to spend when you're trying to make this many stories. Because if you think about it, even if your segment is only you know twenty five or thirty minutes, 
you still have to do all the casting, all the costumes, all the sets, mm -hmm. all the special effects, whether you wander about for 90 minutes on that one or only 25 minutes, you still have to do all that stuff for each story. Yeah, you've got a lot of name actors. That Yeah, that's um, a lot of your well budget. Special effects people. Yeah. It's an international production. Yeah. So they, uh, they, they pulled off a pretty good feat by making, making it look good at all on that budget. Mm-hmm. And I, I think it was accomplished pretty well. So this came out in October of, uh, let's see, November of 93 in uh, London and October of 96 in the United States. I don't understand why the lag. This could be a mistake on Wikipedia. But uh, they were saying three years apart. Yeah, I don't know. That's weird. But still, you know, it came out in the 90s. And uh, I honestly never heard of this Jeffrey Combs uh, yes. H.P. Lovecraft thing until Jolien mentioned it. So I didn't even know it was out there. Neither did I. Did they do a bad job promoting it? If it's set on a shelf for three years, probably. Yeah, I gotta, I gotta wonder about that. Let's see. Um, critical response. Let's see. It was well received upon its initial VHS release in the United States, but did substantially better in Europe and Asian markets. Citation needed. Uh, the film won uh, the award for best special effects in the 1994 Fanta Festival. Uh, let's see. Sponsored by Fanta. I was wondering the same thing. Is it phantasmagorical or is it grape Fanta? Um, mm. Let's see. Craig Butler of All Movie, whatever that is, uh, some online rating guide or whatever, described the movie as a hit and miss affair, com commending the writing of the first two segments, special effects. And uh, David Warner's performance, but criticizing the weak writing of the two remaining segments, which is fair. You know, there's any anthology, you're going to have one strong one, maybe two strong ones, and then everything else is either okay or kind of bad. So I just don't think the anthology works. I think it works on TV because you're used to, you know, commercial breaks and shorter segments. Yeah. But other than like Creep Show. Yeah. I've never liked anthologies not, that much. Yeah. I have a hard time thinking of one that was pretty good. Yeah, and when I think other of, than the creep shows and I think they play that up because it's you know, like the old E C comics. Yeah. yeah. I, I thought uh, Towers from the Crypt was really good. Yeah. Yeah, you take either one of those and uh and then the ones I can think of that, where I'm like, ooh, the one story and the one thing, you know, mm -hmm. like, it's always Trilogy of Terror. Yeah. You know, it's the one with the little doll. Yeah. It's that. But it's not the other stories in it. So that kind of goes to the, yeah, if you if you can get two or more good ones, then you've, you've won. But otherwise, just don't make anthologies. Pick the one that you know is the good one and make a feature-length movie out of it. Yeah, that can be fraught with, you know, potential disaster, too, because sometimes you don't have enough material and you just stretch it out too far. That's true. The Duke. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
But what about the, isn't it great to have a screaming kid? Yes. Yeah. Who just freaks out all the time and so five stories with a different screaming kid. Ooh. Oh yeah. Meltdown at the mall. <laughs> yeah. Tantrum at the restaurant. Yeah, you know, all these <laughs> be great. Yeah, the long car trip. The long car trip. <laughs> I like that one. <laughs> Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Uh, for 25 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> well, should we do the recommends? Yeah, I think it's a pass for me this yeah. week. You're not going to go and shout her from the rooftops? No, I certainly didn't hate it. Um, it was no Frighteners. But uh, <laughs> but what is? It had one thing in common with the Frighteners. Yes. You had your Jeffrey Combs. Oh, I was going to say they were both in color. Oh, yeah, there was that. So two things in common. Uh, Jolien, what about you? Uh, yeah, this is one of those movies that you remember. There's, like, there's good stuff in it. There's good performances. There's, you know, there's interesting visuals, but it just doesn't hold together for me. Yeah, it doesn't, yeah. Add, up. It doesn't add up to a, to a great thing. And, uh, Which yeah. is unfortunate because there, yeah, there are some really good bits in it. Yeah. Mm. And I, and I think if you if you must see everything that's based on Lovecraft, or you must see everything with Jeffrey Combs, or everything Tom Savini ever touched, then yeah, you'll want to see this. But mm. otherwise, I don't recommend running right out and finding the YouTube with the fifteen percent cut off the bottom of the screen. <laughs> but uh, so, Will, it's your choice for next time. Yes. What's it going to be? Psycho Goreman. Psycho Goreman. That's on Shudder, isn't it? That is on Shudder now. Is that a new production? Yeah, it came out last year or maybe the year before. It's, uh, what if E.T. was an evil alien? Fizco Goreman. Fizco. <laughs> so this yes. is like extra? Uh, possibly. Okay. You, have you seen it? Uh, no, I've not seen it yet. I All just right. heard about it last year. And wanted to watch it, but it was only for rental at that point, and I didn't feel like paying, you mm -hmm. know, twelve dollars or whatever. It was kind of high at the time, and uh, certainly didn't feel like asking you guys to pitch in that money to watch something that may or may not be terrible. Uh, but I saw this morning that it's on Shutter, so okay. Um, that um, what was that movie? You had suggested possibly watching, was it Chris Miller or something like that? Christina Miller? I don't remember, but uh, uh, I'll have to look it up again. It was one that <clears throat> we had a hard time looking for, and now, of course, it's on Shutter. Okay. Because I tried to watch it. You ended up picking uh, Coherence. Oh, yeah. Instead, um... And uh, I got my signals mixed up, and I thought you had picked this other movie. And I went and looked for it, and I found it on YouTube. And it was worse than that Grasslands copy. Like, I think it was hard dubbed with some foreign language. And uh, the soundtrack was a little off, and it was real, like, warped and wobbly. Oh, yeah. And just, it was real hard to watch. And I watched it, it was like, I don't know if how I can talk about this movie, because <laughs> I'm not sure I got much out of it. It was so weird looking. But 
Psycho Gorman. All right. right. So that'll that'll be it for next time. And uh, we'll do it again in person, unless there's a brand new virus that plagues the world. Um, Anything else before we get out of here? No. All right. Well, listeners, thank you for listening. Stay off the moors.